You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. The scripture reading today is Acts 5, verses 17 through 26. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came, and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, They were greatly perplexed about them and wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for you. We're grateful to have your word to rely on. And we're grateful that you make things happen when, when we can't see a way, when our small human brains can't figure out something. You're there to make things happen. Um, I'm thankful for, uh, again, the, the blessing of the church uh, yard sale and the money we got from donations, and I'm just thankful that every every year we can rely on you and your goodness to allow us to help this community here with our Day of Hope ministry and um, also with our grocery ministry. And I'm grateful to be part of this group, part of this family, and I'm grateful to be able to hear your word from our leaders here. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Donna? Good morning. Whoa. Coming in hot. Um, okay. We, we, we have that settled down? Okay. Um, so today we're going to be talking about divine reversals and God's unstoppable kingdom. Uh, which is a major theme, actually, in the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts, if, if you're here visiting and you don't know. But it's a major theme in the book of Acts, but it's also a major theme in the Bible. God loves reversals. He loves flipping the script. He also loves taking those things that are designed for evil and then using them for good. And it's one of the ways in which he shows, like, actually, I'm the one in charge. Like, if he didn't let those things kind of happen sometimes, maybe we wouldn't know, right? But he lets those things happen, and then he shows, I'm the one in charge, and I'm the one who has the final word. Uh, One example that we have of this in the Bible outside of this passage um, would be the story of Joseph, right, from Genesis 37 through Genesis 50. If you remember that story, Joseph is his dad's favorite. He gets a special coat, and he has a couple of dreams where his brothers bow down to him. You remember this part of this story? Now, do the brothers like that or not like that? (laughs) Right, they do not like that. It says in Genesis 37 that they hated him because of jealousy. And so what they do is they hand Joseph over to slave traders, and then the slave traders hand Joseph over to Egypt. Okay, and then it's interesting... Um, Joseph sort of like truncates all of that in Genesis 45, and he says, you handed me over to Egypt, right? And so that's interesting parallel that maybe will come into play later, so remember that. Then, so that's how he gets to Egypt. 
at Egypt, he's wrongfully accused, and then he's imprisoned. So by the middle point of the Joseph story, right, he's exiled, he's enslaved, and he's imprisoned, right? But then there's the reversal. There's the plot twist. So that he becomes exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh and then given dominion over all of Egypt, which might as well have been the world because his food program, like the whole world, is depending on the food program that, that he created. Right now, when they're in plot twists normally in stories, right? and when I say story, I don't mean like it's not historical or something, but God works through stories. Right? In, in the story, after this plot, when there's a plot twist, oftentimes there's a reveal. Right? And, and, and Joseph is revealed to his brothers as being the one who has been exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh right? and who is now delivering them from death by famine. Right? Does that sound like any other story where somebody comes into like enemies, right? he joins them right? and, and is enslaved, persecuted, all these things happen to him, but then exalted to the right hand of the one in charge and then providing deliverance for everybody else? Well, that sounds like the Jesus story. This, right? And you're, uh, we talk about this a lot. The Jesus story in the Bible is just by way of pattern often, sometimes direct uh, prophecy, but a lot of times by way of pattern, the Jesus story is repeated over and over and over again. But at the very end of the story... Right? He is talking to his brothers who are now afraid that he might retaliate against them. And then he delivers these lines um, that are probably one of the most cherished lines in the book of Genesis from Genesis 50, verse 20. And they read this way. It says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring, up, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So God loves reversals. He loves taking what people try to do to stop the advancement of his plans and using that as the very mechanism by which he advances those plans. Right? And, and we're going to see that in our passage. Now before we jump into it, let's just talk about uh, what's been happening in the book of Acts that leads up to this moment? Not everything that happens in the book of Acts, but just to remind us of some of the details that lead up to this moment. So if you go back to Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are imprisoned. They've been arrested and imprisoned by the Jewish leaders because they have healed a man in Jesus' name, a lame beggar, at one of the entrances to the, to the temple. Right? And, so, and then after interrogating them and threatening them, Right, they are then released. And so they join with the other brothers and sisters, and then they have a prayer meeting, if you remember, at the very end of Acts chapter 4. And in that prayer meeting, God meets them. Right? And the place where their meeting shakes, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and that enables them to proclaim the gospel boldly and with demonstrations of power, signs, and wonders. Right? God is, going, is telling them, I'm empowering you for this. And that sets everything up for Acts chapter 5 in the passage that we looked at last week, where the apostles are now healing loads of people. They're healing everybody. Everybody's getting healed. Right? And then they're casting out all the demons right? and proclaiming the gospel. So they're proclaiming the gospel of liberation, and that is being demonstrated powerfully through these signs and wonders. Right? And so it prompts the Jewish leaders to arrest Peter again, a second time. Like they're going to double down now. And this, is, this happens in the book of Acts. People keep doubling down and, and you think like, oh shoot, like this is when everything's going to go down. And that's the very thing that propels it forward every time. Okay, so and that's where the plot twist comes in. But now it's not just Peter now it's Peter and the rest of the apostles are now involved. So we're going to look at our passage, which has this reversal in it, 
that produces the kingdom of God advancing. So we're going to do two things this morning. One, we're going to look at the attempt that is made to stop the kingdom of God from advancing. And then we're going to look at the reversal that happens that keeps it going. So we're going to look at the attempt and we're going to look at the reversal. Okay, so let's first look at the attempt. So remember, this is just after the apostles are powerfully preaching and they're exercising demons and they're healing tons of people. Right after this, we read, uh, after that, we read this in verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So let's talk about the actors who are doing this. Let's talk about what they're doing and what their motivation is, okay? So let's first talk about the actors. Who are the ones leading the way in this? Well, our passage says the high priest and the party of the Sadducees. So the high priest at the time technically is Caiaphas, but it could be a reference to Annas, who is his what? You remember? His father-in-law. They had, there was a whole nepotism thing going on in this time with reference to that, in conjunction with the Roman authorities and all this. Okay, so it could be Annas, who's Caiaphas' son-in-law. He's, he, he was the high priest, and he retained that title. We saw that in Acts chapter 4, verse 6. But the point is, both Caiaphas and Annas belong to the party of the Sadducees, okay? Um, and they were leading that party. So they, along with the party of the Sadducees, and if you remember the Sadducees, they were this religious sect uh, belonging to very, they came out of like very wealthy priestly families in Jerusalem that sort of dominated the political and religious landscape in Jerusalem uh, in two ways. They held the majority of the seats in the Sanhedrin. So the Sanhedrin was like the, the most official, the most powerful governing body in Israel at the time that belonged to the Jews. The Roman Empire is even above that. But, but, so they, they held most of the seats there, and then they were the most willing to cooperate with Rome. So you have these very powerful religious leaders who worked primarily at the temple, and they're behind the arrest of the apostles, uh, the arrest of the apostles, and then also uh, bringing together a little bit later uh, in the latter part of verse 21b, you know, bringing together the, Sanhe- the Sanhedrin, that governing body, which would also include the Pharisees. So that, that's the actors. But the main point I want you to notice about this, and I think Luke wants us to notice about this, is that these are the very same people who arrested Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. And they're also the very same people who arrested Jesus, put him through an unfair trial, and then remember Joseph's brothers handed them Jesus over to Pilate to be crucified. Same actors. Just put a pin in that and remember that. So that's who's acting. What are they doing? Right? They're arresting the apostles and they're putting them in prison. Now the way that this is written is that we're supposed to understand and see Luke is writing it in such a way that we do a couple of things. One is that we compare the leadership of the old temple system, right, the Jewish leaders, and the new leadership of the new temple that is centered around Jesus, right, and he's making this new temple of living stones, putting his spirit there. We're supposed to compare those two leaderships. That's one thing. And then we're supposed to see how it ties back to Jesus himself. So let me explain how this works. So one thing that they do is that they arrest them. Now, the, the word that's translated arrest here, they were arrested, is a, it can be literally translated laid hands on. So the Jewish leaders laid hands on the apostles. Now, the reason why this is significant is just, you know, you go up just a couple of verses and then you find the apostles laying hands on people. Okay, now when the apostles lay hands on people, are they taking them captive? No, they're not taking, they are liberating them in Jesus' name. Right, they're being liberated from the domain of darkness. 
They're being liberated from their illness. They're receiving the gospel and being liberated from their sin. And so the new leadership is liberating, right? Now, but the Jewish leaders are a little different, right? They're a little different. When they lay their hands on Jesus or other people, it's to take captive. It's to take captive. Very different approaches, okay, of leadership. So you've got that going on. You're supposed to keep track of that. Okay, so they arrest them, but then they also imprison them. Now, the way that the prison is described in verse 23, it tells us that it was secured and that it was guarded. What does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus' tomb. If you, if you look at in Matthew 27, 65, it says it was secured and it was guarded. Okay, so you have this situation where the Jewish leaders, the players who are arresting the disciples are the same players that arrested Jesus who he said, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, and he, he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, right? he came to liberate captives. So they are treating the apostles in the same way that they treated Jesus for the same reasons. Because the apostles are doing the same things that Jesus did. And this, this kind of goes back into the message of the entire book of Acts. The entire book of Acts is that Jesus is continuing his ministry, right? But now through his persecuted and spirit-empowered church. Jesus' work continues through them and now through us. Now we're the freedom fighters in the world. But we don't fight with carnal weapons. We fight with the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And that's what we're seeing happen here. And then people are, are liberated. We're in this war where people are liberated. There are prisoners of war. They're walking around. They don't even know that they're prisoners of war, right? But they're going to be liberated by the gospel message. Okay, so there's all those parallels, okay? How were they motivated? So that's who the, that's who the actors are. That's what they're, act, that's what they're doing, what motivated them? So if you go back to um, the latter part of verse 17, it says, filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So unlike, remember making this comparison, unlike the apostles who in Acts chapter 4 are filled with the spirit, right, to liberate captives, right, now... What's filling them? They're filled too, right? They're filled with jealousy. And so what happens in that, it, it, what they should have been celebrating, what they should have been rejoicing in, right? God's victory over sin, death, and the devil through Jesus now being powerfully demonstrated through the hands of the apostles. They could not celebrate. They could not even see it really because they were blinded by their own jealousy. And they were jealous in a couple of ways. They were jealous of the success and the influence and the popularity of the apostles with the crowds. They were jealous of Jesus' victory. And they were jealous for their jobs and esteemed positions in society. Because just think about it. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection means that they're out of a job. With rel you know, relative to the temple... Right, Because Jesus is the once and for all perfect sacrifice that rendered the temple system obsolete. Now, so they have no job. And in addition to that, the job review has come in. Right, They're supposed to be the judges of what happens in Israel. Right, and they're supposed to judge justly, rightfully. Right, but what about the sentence that they gave to Jesus? They sentenced him to death. Did that sentence stand? No, it was overturned by God. So that now there's a new temple with somebody new in charge, Jesus, who's now the high priest. Now, if they had trusted God, then they would know, this is no big deal. Like, I, ha 
I had this role during this time that, where God was trying to accomplish this particular purpose. But if, they, if God was their father, then they would say like, oh, okay, dad's done with that job. Dad's going to give me another job. That's not a big deal. But since they white-knuckled their job and they put their hope in their job, well, now the gospel threatens them, right? And they lost sight, if they ever had it, I don't know. But they lost sight of what their role was even about. The whole temple system was about leading up to getting everybody ready to be able to see this moment. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has, has come, right? And you think, man, he's right there. How did they miss it? But, I mean, we miss it all the time. Um, we can get so caught up in doing good for Jesus. We say, we say for Jesus, that we lose sight of Jesus Christ himself. We can get so caught up in whatever particular role that we play in a church or in our community or at our jobs, right? And it might even be like very directly tied to ministry in Jesus's name, but you can, you can get so focused on your role that you lose sight of Jesus himself. And a telltale sign is if you become jealous. It'll let you know. Right? And I think a lot of the times where churches can't collaborate for the kingdom. Or, you know, pastors look at each other. You know, I'm guilty of this too. You look at each other with side eyes. Right? Like, you know, um, I think that is because we get enamored too much with our role and not Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom, right? Like, would, would we, at, you know, there's, there's certain churches over time, they become known for certain things, right? And you could maybe think of the own things that Enclave may be known for, right? What if, a, what if another church comes along and, and does it better, right? And, and asks us for help. Are we going to be like, well, I mean, well, then it will be in your name. And then it won't be in our name. Well, that, okay. You know, uh, that's kind of a problem, right? Um, and I'm not hearing any whisperings about anything. I'm not, like, leaving. There's not, I have no agenda. <clears throat> right? But I, I'm just saying, like, are we ready in our hearts, you know, to hold things out open with open hands? Like, oh, God's raising this person up now, and, and now I play this different role. And it's okay because it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about Jesus and his kingdom um, advancing. And so they, their hearts, part of what's motivating them is that their hearts are filled with jealousy. But there's something else, that, that's kind of explicit. It's stated really specifically there. But I think there's something implicit going on too um, that maybe not as easily seen, but still related to jealousy. And that is that they're their hearts are also intent on hum humiliating their opponents. When it says, put them in public prison, I'm, I'm going to get technical for like three sentences, so just hang with me for a second. But the word that's translated public right, is translated in such a way that tells you that it's an adjective that's modifying prison. It tells you what type of prison it is. Okay, and that is legitimate. I don't, if you, if you have to decide between, I'm not the only person who has this opinion, but if you decide between the ESV and what I think about it, choose the ESV and, and you know, just disregard what I'm about to say. But if you, if you look at, if you look at the rest of the passages that have this very same word in the book of Acts, in every other case, it's the adverb modifying the verb, which in this case would mean, so you can forget all the technical language and the, you know, going back to elementary grammar school, you know, in this case, what that would mean is it's modifying the verb put. So it, you would translate it this way. They publicly put them in prison. Now, what difference does that make? This is what I think Luke is intentionally trying to do. He's trying to connect in our minds the fact that he is these same actors, 
that tried to shame Jesus by putting him on a cross, because the cross is all about, it's about killing, yes, but it's a, it's a big part of it is about shame and making a public example of somebody. Right, don't do this, right? They, same, they're doing the same thing now with the apostles. Don't do this, look how shameful that is. Right, and, and think about the shame and honor culture that they lived in, and that is a big part of what drives things in this type of, of, of a culture. So you've got the Jewish leaders, they're motivated by jealousy, they're motivated by a desire to shame, right? And so they arrest and imprison the apostles. And in this way, they try to stop the unstoppable kingdom of God. Okay, so that's the attempt, but they don't have the final word. They may be the most powerful people in Israel at the time. Right, we're all over all of Israel. And God's like, let me see what's going on in Israel. Just see. Give. Oh, okay. They say that they're in charge of that. <laughs> you know, uh, and it's like, well, I'm in charge of everything. Right? I, I, I have the final world, word in the universe. So, okay, we talked about the attempt. Let's talk about the reversal. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord, you know what's so funny about this? This is, there's a little wink here. Um, Do the Sadducees believe in angels? No, they don't. (laughs) No, they don't. Uh, Acts uh, 23, 8, they don't believe in angels. Josephus seems to indicate that they don't believe in divine intervention. Okay, so let's just keep going. Uh, All right. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. What life? Resurrection life in Jesus. Okay, so the apostles obey, right? And they go wake up early in the morning and they do just like Jesus did. Jesus went to the temple early in the morning and he taught the people. Now they're doing the exact same thing. Skipping down to the latter part of verse 21. Now, when the high priest came, so the high, they don't know. They don't know yet. We know they don't know. And those who were with him, they, uh, they called together the council. Right, That's the Sanhedrin. All the senate of the people of Israel. Now, he, he's saying the two, the, the, he's talking about the same thing twice, but he's doing it on purpose because he wants you to get it like, He's calling all the influential people. Hey, all influential people, come over here and see how powerful we are. And sent to the prison to have them brought. So this is a very public setting with all the influential people. All right, are we all here? Okay, let's go get the prisoners. Verse 22. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. I wonder if like when the apostles, when they left, did they lock it back? (laughs) Anyway, I don't know. Um, But when we opened them, we found no one inside. And verse 24 says that they were bewildered, right? Because they don't even believe in angels or divine intervention, okay? They're bewildered. Verse 25, and someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. G.K. Beale wrote a, a small little book called Redemptive Reversals. Right? And in that book, he argued that there are two types of irony in the Bible. There's retributive irony and there's redemptive irony. So retributive irony is when God gives somebody over to their sin and then that sin kind of falls back on them. Like the sin becomes its own punishment. Uh, A modern example of this, I don't know if you remember, do you remember when uh, Daniel Gardner, I think it's been like a year and a half ago, where he's talking about divine reversals in the book of Obadiah? Right, and he illustrated uh, that point with something that kind of stuck with me, and that is the cartoon The Roadrunner. 
Okay, have you guys ever seen the Roadrunner with Wiley e. Coyote? Okay. So the way that that works, right, over and 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 over again, is that Wiley e. Coyote tries to set a trap for the Roadrunner and then ends up falling into that trap, right? Uh, uh, this is very biblical, Proverbs 26, 27. Throughout the book of Psalms, you see this kind of happening over and over. Same thing kind of happens in Esther, right? Haman hangs in the gallows that he built. He built the gallows for Mordecai. <clears throat> um, there, might be, there might be somebody in the room. You're, you're hanging in the gallows that you built. Can you tell me if this is you? Because I feel like God has like a special message for whoever feels like they're hanging in the gallows that they built. And I, I feel like this is what God wants you to know. Stop trying to struggle. Stop trying to make this more comfortable. It's not going to get more comfortable, okay? Turn to God, and he will liberate. So there's a, a biblical example of retributive justice. Now, how does that, that work here? How does it work here, right? Their effort to publicly shame the apostles becomes the very mechanism by which they are publicly ashamed. All the big wigs, all the crowds, right? They were like, yeah, go to the temple, arrest them in front of all the crowds so they can make an example of them. And then we'll get the council over and then we'll show them who's boss, you know? And then it's like, whoop. And God loves that, Shoot. right? So that, that's an example of retributive irony. But then there's also redemptive irony. Redemptive irony is when God's people they, they face opposition, evil meant against them, and it turns out for their good and for God's glory. So we already saw this with Joseph, right? He was uh, exiled, enslaved, imprisoned, and that was the very mechanism by which God exalted him to the right hand of the Pharaoh and provided salvation for the people during his time, right? Joop, plot twist, okay? It's also here, right? <clears throat> the, the ver so the, 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 uh, the Jewish leaders, this is their attempt at stopping the advancement of the proclamation of the gospel. But unintentionally, you know, they, they want them to stop preaching, and so they gave them a very powerful sermon illustration instead. And I want you to think about this with me for a minute. So the apostles' arrest, imprisonment, and subsequent release, think about how that is a very powerful demonstration of the message of the resurrection. Okay, so think about the parallels between Jesus' ministry and the apostles' ministry, right? They both proclaim the gospel of the kingdom which is demonstrated powerfully through signs and wonders. Same. Right? They're both arrested by Jewish leaders because of jealousy. They're both publicly shamed and imprisoned. The apostles are, are publicly arrested and then put behind a jail cell which is secured and guarded. And then Jesus is publicly humiliated on a cross and he's put behind a stone, right? Secured and guarded. Then here comes the reversal, right? Where God vindicates the apostles and Jesus by reversing the sentence. The jail cell is found empty because God is the one who has the last word. The tomb is found empty because God is the one who has the last word. 
the Jewish leaders thought, they thought that they were stopping the proclamation of the kingdom of God. They thought that, but instead they were providing a powerful illustration of it. At the domain of darkness, thought that they were publicly humiliating Jesus and then killing Jesus, the king of the kingdom, and thereby preventing the advancement of the kingdom of the kingdom. But that is the very mechanism by which God defeated sin, death, and the devil. And, and, and this is how Paul says it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. This is the NIV. It says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's the domain of darkness, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. God, man, God loves reversals. He loves flipping the script. Right? And all of us, every person, is in, in one of these ironic movements, one or the other. And for, and for a Christian, like, this can be very encouraging because what it means for us is that any opposition that you face, spiritual opposition, right? you're, you're under spiritual attack, you feel it. Those demons don't have the final word. Illness. Whatever it is. Cancer. Whatever it is. It, you, you, you may die in this life because of an illness. Likely. Right? Illness does not have the final word. There is a resurrection to come. And sometimes... God heals people before them just to demonstrate his power, just a Costco sample of what is to come, right? Just to demonstrate it. Like, you want to know what the kingdom of God tastes like? Boom, right there. I have the power to do that. It doesn't have the final word. Your past hurts don't have the final word. Your father who neglected you does not have the final word. Your uncle who abused you does not have the final word. God has the final word. And his kingdom is unstoppable. So it's encouraging for the Christian. But it's very sobering for those who stand opposed to the kingdom of God. And I... And I, I, I I do not speak in judgment over those. I used to oppose the kingdom of God. God in his mercy saved me. And, but when I opposed the kingdom of God, I was setting traps and falling right into them. And, and, and God, this, the worst thing that God can do is give you what you want. What your flesh wants He'll give it to you if you demand it. And, but then you're just setting the trap and falling right into it. But that doesn't have to be where you're at. That may be where you are at right now. But just like hanging in the gallows, stop trying to make this more comfortable. Living by the world, hanging from the gallows, it's not going to be, like, if you go like this, or you, you know, maybe if I hold my hands like this, like, none of that's going to work. You're not going to be able to get out of it even. Cry out, liberate, liberate me. He liberates captives. It's what he does. Man, I just want you to know this king. I want you to know what this freedom feels like. And you know what? Even as a Christian, sometimes I'm like, well, maybe the news wasn't that bad. Let me try it again. Yeah, oh, oh. oh no, that's pretty bad. You know, like, and we still, we keep, we do that. But man, he still, he loves you. He loves you. Come, come to him. The kingdom of God is, it's unstoppable. 
And we have so much encouragement just knowing that fact because what it means, if we can believe it, oh God, help us believe it. That means that there's no suffering that's wasted. No suffering that's wasted. And God will use it all for good and for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we just stand, we stand in awe of, of your story happening in time-space history, all pointing to your son, the Lord Jesus. And Father, we barely believe it. And so Father, I pray that you would now increase our faith by your spirit. Come upon us like you did in Acts chapter 4. Fill us with your spirit. Shake this place with your spirit, God. And make us bold with our testimonies where we can't help but declare the good news of your liberation. Father, move in us, God. Change us from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.